Would you remain standing, please? Uh, good morning to each of you. My name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here at New City. It's great to have each of you here. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. You all look, you know, full and satisfied, and um, hopefully you're ready to hear God's word this morning. We've been in a, a series on the book of Romans as we've been journeying through, and today we find ourselves in Romans chapter 5 verses 12 through 21, Romans chapter five, verses 12 through 21. And I wanna read the passage to you as we begin today. This is God's word to you this morning. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet a law to break. Still everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For this sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God even though we're guilty of many sins. Verse 17, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive. It will, uh, it, they will live and triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life to everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Verse 21, so just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word of God to you today. You can be seated. In Charles Dickens' novel, A Tale of Two Cities, you might remember Carton gives his life in an epic story of sacrifice and goodness and heroism for Darnay, sparing him from execution. In a more current story, Harry Potter gives his life, spoiler alert, and I feel like, you know, if, you're, if you don't know that by now, then, uh, you know, sorry, you're left behind. Harry Potter gives his life as a sacrifice to overcome Voldemort and his evil. And by the giving of his life in a sacrificial way, evil is defeated and good comes to all. Belle goes to the castle and willingly gives her life for Maurice, her father, 
and lives in the castle with the beast. Can you think of a story, maybe a favorite story of yours that you grew up with, or one that you maybe even watched this week while you were watching movies with friends or family that you keep coming back to that is a a connecting story in your life, an epic story that, you know, somehow begins to make some sense of your own story. The truth is that all of these epic stories that we love have a similar plot line. A hero has to overcome all kinds of obstacles, uh, difficulties, to attain goodness and triumph and release or rescue for themselves and indeed for all of humanity. And these epic stories are echoes of an even bigger story that's contained in our hearts and we may not even be aware of it. The Bible says that eternity is in every single person's heart. What does that mean? It means that they're born with an echo or a longing for something beyond this world, a story to make sense of their own story. And the truth is that every single one of us is in a search, a quest for a story that will make sense of our story. And it's actually why we orient ourselves to these novels and these movies and the stories that we read growing up and they become very meaningful to us and we connect with the characters because we find ourselves in that bigger story. And as the pennies begin to drop for those characters, the pennies begin to drop for us of making sense of our own story. It's actually how God wired us. Psychologist Kurt Thompson said it this way, that all of us come into the world, we're born into the world looking for someone who's looking for us. We're looking for eyes that are on us, that are watching us, helping us to orient to the world and understand our place in the world. We're all in search of a story to make sense of our, our own stories. And so these epic stories that we orient to early in life begin to do that. And the vulnerability, and that's an important word, of searching for a connecting story, because that's what it is. It requires vulnerability to look for a story beyond your own story to connect to. It's something that God made us with. A vulnerability that says, left unto myself, my story doesn't make sense. And so the act of searching for a story, if you will, is a great act of vulnerability and it's a bid for connection, for congruency in your life, to make sense of your own story. And the opposite of vulnerability, by the way, I know we're getting to the deep end here, but this is important. The opposite of vulnerability is shame. If you think about it, shame uh, as opposed to guilt, guilt says, I feel bad about what I did. Shame is I feel bad about who I am. And so when I feel badly about who I am, I tend to go deeper into my story and we're gonna talk about this. And I go deeper into myself through my own self-righteousness, thinking that I can get my way out of this or my self-centeredness, my denial of the, the feelings that I'm having of vulnerability and my need for connection, my need for story to make sense of my own story. So the Apostle Paul in our text today, believe it or not, actually begins to really help us on our journey or our quest or our search for a story that makes sense of our story. And he does that by actually framing up the story of the world in two primary 
stories. You just heard it in the scripture, Romans 5, verses 12 through 21. And if you're taking some notes, and I want to encourage you in that, if you're taking notes, maybe just write this down, because this is what Paul says about stories and the importance of stories and connecting to a story to make sense of your own story. He says there's two primary stories. The first story is the story of Adam. And in verses 12 through 14, Paul begins to unpack for us the primary story of Adam and how all of our stories, like it or not, all of our narratives are connected to the narrative of Adam the very first person created by God. And then the second primary story that Paul introduces here as we think about the world through story and how we connect to those stories is the story, of course, of Jesus. And in Romans 5, verses 15 through 21, Paul begins to unpack the story of Jesus and most importantly, how each of us can connect to the story of Jesus and begin to find meaning and purpose and hope and life and all the things that our hearts come into the world looking for and longing for, no matter how much we may repress it and cover it with shame. So just to catch everyone up, if you've missed the first five minutes here, all of humanity, all of humanity is connected to two primary stories, the story of Adam and the story of Jesus. And all of humanity is affected by them, but not, as we're going to see, not all of humanity is connected equally to both of them. Let me unpack that a little bit more. You see, how can a person, here's the question, if it's true that all of us are affected by both stories, and moreover, that as we connect to the story of Jesus, our lives are changed, the question is, how does one person's sacrifice, in the sense of Jesus and his story for us? Or one person's story of sin? How does one person's sacrifice bring so much uh, congruency and joy and benefit? And how can one person's sin, Adam's, bring so much brokenness to so many people? Well, it's all rooted in how each story is connected. So let's start, if you're taking notes, with the story of Adam, verses 12 through 14, Romans chapter 5 in our text. The word Adam, some of you may know this, is a Hebrew word, Adam, which means human. So as we're thinking about it in the context of narrative, Adam's life, even his name itself, is a representative. That's what Paul says here in verse 15, that he was a representative of Christ. We're going to get into that and why it's so important that Adam represents the story of all of humanity. So again, we're connected to his story whether we want to be or not. And we're certainly affected by his story whether we want to be or not. And in Romans chapter five, verse 12, Paul begins to describe this chain reaction of brokenness or a better word, appropriate word would be death that came through this primary story of Adam. And in Romans chapter five, verses three through five, last week we talked about a chain reaction of hope, a chain reaction of life that comes through being made right with God, that even suffering and trials and difficulties can't take away from us. In fact, they amplify the benefits and the results of justification. So go back and read that or listen to it in Romans 5, 3, 5. Now Paul, as he talks about the story of Adam and Jesus, says there's a chain reaction of death 
a chain reaction of brokenness. Look at it with me, Romans 5, verse 12. He says, first of all, that sin enters the world through one man. His name was Adam. For the sake of our message today, through one story, one narrative brought sin into the world. The choice, the willful, volitional choice to go against God's will. You can eat of every fruit in the garden except this one fruit. And guess which fruit Adam and Eve wanted to eat from? And before we say, well, if I were there, I wouldn't have made that choice. Tim Keller wonderfully and appropriately says, Adam was perfectly designed to represent you and me if we were in the garden. To make the exact same choice. And so why is there death in the world? Why is there brokenness? Why is there disease? Why is there war? Because sin entered into the world with one singular choice. And just very quickly, the word that Paul uses here twice in Romans 5.12 is in the aorist tense in the Greek language. The aorist tense is a singular uh, past action. When we use the aorist tense in the Greek language, it's a singular past action. Why is this important? Because Paul is deliberately saying that it was one past action that brought sin into the world. That it was through Adam's choice that brokenness entered. And what follows sin? It's a chain reaction. Death. God did not create the world intending for any of his creation to ever die. It's actually a, a very unhuman thing to do to die. God didn't create the very first humans to die. That was not his intended will. Death is the consequence for choice to rebel for sin. So death follows sin. Through one choice, one singular past action, sin entered into the world and death followed. And here's the third part of the chain reaction. That death spread to everyone. All means all and that's, and that's all all means. It spread to everyone, it spread to all. And so all of us, whether we want to be or not, are connected to the story of brokenness and death because of Adam and the sin that happened in the garden. And because of uh, sin coming into the world, because of the death that followed, because it spread to all of humanity, so did the story of shame, of believing that not only did I do something bad and choosing to rebel against God, but I am bad and living from that shame story. And, and let me say this, most of the story of the world, by the way, is a story of shame. Most people are living out of a shame narrative that I feel badly about who I am. It's more than just what I've done. I feel, I feel badly about how I show up in relationship. I feel, I feel badly about my family. I feel badly about where I come from. I'm, I'm living from a, a shame narrative. So Paul, just for summary, says that Adam sinned and with him, all of us sinned. It's not just, by the way, that we're like Adam and that we sin now. That's true. What Paul is saying, don't miss this is that when Adam sinned, all of us sinned with him. That it wasn't just his choice, it was our choice. 
We participate in this. And John Stott says it this way. We cannot, because this, this is my temptation, maybe it's just me. We cannot point a finger at Adam in self-righteousness or self-righteous innocence. We share in his guilt. And it is because we sinned in Adam, not just like Adam, but in Adam, that we die today, that death followed. Again, Tim Keller says, Adam was perfectly designed to represent you and me if we were in the garden. And this teaching sounds very strange to us. In fact, some of you right now may be saying you're, it's, it, it's like a radio frequency that's not coming through. Because the way that we hear story is very individualistic in a Western culture. In other words, it's my story. I'm living my story and it just, it just happens that all of you are living your stories around me but I'm living my own individual story and I'm not affected by anyone else. And this is very different from the story and the culture of the scriptures. In fact, the truth is that we don't wanna be held accountable for anyone else's mistakes or decisions. And so we believe that it's all up to us. It's a very individualistic way of viewing the scriptures and viewing story and understanding. But the truth is that all of our stories are very much connected. They're more connected than we would like them to be. In fact, the truth is that God deals with us through our representative. And by the way, this is a very good thing. And you say, how in the world could it be good that God deals with me through my representative, Adam? I didn't vote for him. I didn't put him in the garden. I didn't make the choice. True, but you would have. If we each had to represent ourselves and our own stories individually before God, we could not stand. So this, stick with me. This is why this understanding of representation story is very important to the story of the gospel. Because if there were a man, if there were a second Adam that were to come and to not make the decision to rebel against God, to be obedient to God in every way, then just as equally that we are participating and with Adam in his sin, we could be liberated through said second Adam. And this is a setup, of course, of the story of Jesus and the gospel, that there was a second chance story. There was, a, as Paul describes him, a second Adam that came to do what the first Adam could not and would not do. Some of you are familiar with the phrase federal headship. It's a theological term that means representative story. And this is how the Bible understands story. That we're represented by the story of Adam and our brokenness and sin and death that followed and the shame narrative that many of us live out of, whether it's through self-righteousness or self-centeredness. And the representative story of the second Adam, Jesus, that came to do what the first Adam could not and would not do and now offers us by grace a second chance at life. How many of you like second chance stories, redemption stories? Why do we like these stories? Because there's something in our hearts that knows we need that story. We need a second chance. 
We need someone to see something in us when we couldn't see it for ourselves. We need someone to come and rescue us from our own decisions and brokenness and rebellion. We need someone to see the true selves of who we really are and that we're worthy to be redeemed and rescued and, and, and for someone to give their life for us. We long for that. That's why we love these movies and these stories because there's eternity in that story in our hearts. Just for homework, just for cross-reference, if you want to write this down, go read 1 Corinthians 15, particularly verses 21 and 22, where Paul is talking about the resurrection of the dead. And he unpacks these two stories of Adam and Jesus. And the victory that we have now in Jesus, thanks be to God, Paul writes, that we have victory through Jesus, our representative, our second Adam that did what we could not do for ourselves. So let's talk about the second story. If there's two primary stories in the world, if we're all searching for a story that makes sense of our own story, and Paul says, okay, in that quest, in that vulnerability for a story beyond yourself, there's basically two. There's a story of death through Adam that we're all affected by and we participated in. And there's a story of Jesus, a story of life and redemption, a second chance story that God invites us into, not by our works, but by grace through our simple, everyone watch this, this has been a theme for us from Romans 3 forward, through faith, through the closest word we have in the English language to faith is trust, through trusting Jesus. We talk, remember the wheelbarrow? We talked about the wheelbarrow last week. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. And getting in the wheelbarrow and trusting Jesus. It's one thing to know that Jesus exists. It's another thing to believe that Jesus died for me. It's another thing altogether to begin more and more to trust Jesus to put my life in his hands, to trust him. Now, we talked about shame, right? Shame is about who I am, not what I've done. Guilt's about what I've done. Shame's about who I am. And, and most of, the, of humanity is living out of a shame narrative. I want, I want you just to see this really quickly. Shame began in Genesis 3 with the choice that Adam and Eve made to participate in a rebellion against God. And as we've already learned, we were there and we were participants in it too through our federal heads, our representatives, Adam and Eve, who made that choice, who were perfectly designed to make the same choice that we were making. I want you to see this, that the two ways that people live out of shame narratives, primarily Romans 1, Romans 2, and 3. Romans 1 is self-centeredness. Romans 2 and 3 is self-righteousness. They're, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. They present themselves very differently. But self-righteousness or legalism or works or religiosity is very similar to self-centeredness. What do they both have in common if there was a name for the same coin? Me. Self-centeredness is saying it's all about me. And I'm just going to overtly live my life for whatever brings me the most pleasure. And by the way, this is the very overt story of the world that we live in. There's nothing new under the sun. This has been the story from the beginning of people choosing their own pleasure. You say, well, how did that happen in the garden? The fruit, when they saw it, was good and pleasurable for eating self-centered, momentary pleasure. It'll bring me satisfaction right now. It's my latest happy meal. I'm gonna take it right now. I don't, you know, consequences be damned. I'm gonna take my happy meal right now and eat it. That's self-centeredness. What is self-righteousness? The promise of the fruit in the garden that perfectly represented sin for all of us. You'll be like God. You take this fruit and you'll be like God. And you'll be like God through your actions. You can earn it. 
You can take it. Don't you see? Self-centeredness and self-righteousness are on full display through that one act. And they're both a cover for who I am and the shame that I carry because of who I am. And don't you see that Jesus came, the second primary story, to bring life and to bring freedom. I want to just read verse 17 to you, okay? Because the story of Jesus is found in verses 15 through 21. But just for, just for time, let me read verse 17. And I want you to hear this. I already read it this morning, but I want you to hear it now uh, through the lens. I want you to see it and hear it through the lens of a second story, the story of Jesus. Listen to this. Paul says, for the sin of the one man, let's use story. For the sin of the first story, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it. They'll live in triumph over sin and death through this one story, this one man, Jesus. Now, I want you to pay attention to a word in verse 17. If you have your Bible, I want you to circle it. I want you to underline. I want you to highlight it. Exclamation marks all over. Receive. Not take. Not earn receive. I receive a gift that God gives to me. I don't take it because it's a wage that I worked for. I don't earn it. I receive it. And that's what grace is, to be given something that you do not deserve. And this is how Paul describes the second Adam, the second story, that it's a story of grace, that I receive this story by, by my faith and my trust in Jesus. That's the currency. The currency of the kingdom is faith. The currency of the kingdom is not money and it's not works. It's faith. It's trusting God. And so this is the beauty of this second story, the hero who comes to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to release us from prison and pay attention to the word in verse 17, to triumph over sin and death. So we have victory now. We're going to get to that in Romans 8. We're more than conquerors now through Christ. We don't live out of a shame narrative of who I am and being a slave to sin and brokenness, self-righteousness and self-centeredness. Now I'm a more than a conqueror. I'm a victor, right, over sin and death because of Jesus, my representative, who did for me what I could not and what I would not do for myself. So the story of Jesus, the second chance story is the story of the gospel overwhelming the story of Adam and its terrible and tragic effects on our lives that we still experience today through brokenness and death and pain. And we're reminded that we weren't created for this world. C.S. Lewis said, God will give us some wonderful football games that we get to watch this weekend some great food that we get to eat with lovely people that we love around a dinner table. But Monday always comes in the world. God gives us some pleasant little ends, is the quote from C.S. Lewis, in this world, but he will not allow us to mistake those ends for our home. And it's through brokenness and tragedy that we're jarred out of our comfort and thinking that through self-righteousness and self-centeredness, that somehow our stories orient to the story of Adam in this world. They don't, they don't make sense. And it's through brokenness and pain that God awakens us to that 
and something bigger that we're longing for. And Lewis went on to say, if there's a longing in your heart that nothing in this world can satisfy, then it must mean that there's something beyond this world that can satisfy it. If you find yourself looking for a story to make sense of your story, if you find yourself as an outcast with with people that you don't feel like you fit in, even with your family or friends this weekend at a table, you feel like you're alone. You're carrying something from your past that doesn't make sense that you're riddled with guilt for, and not only guilt, but shame for who you are. There's a way out. But it's not through self-centeredness and more stunning acts of selfishness and getting more things and consuming more people. And it's not actually through religiosity and self-righteousness and doing more good things. It's through our second Adam, our second chance story, Jesus, that did for us what we could not and would not do for ourselves. And now offers us by grace triumph over our first story because he's triumphed over sin and death. And we receive it now as a gift of righteousness to be represented by Jesus and his story and our story. So if you're looking for a story that makes sense of your story, and even though I don't know every single one of you, I know you and you know me because we know the quest and the journey for connection that each of us are on. And it presents itself in a myriad of different ways in our own small lowercase s stories, but we're all connected in that journey. And I'm just willing to bet that if you think about it, you can look at the course of all of your life and begin to see how you were searching for a story to make sense of your own story. And so Paul presents us with the two primary stories of the Bible, the story of Adam of brokenness and death and the story of Jesus of life. And he tells us that all of our stories are connected in these stories. But only some of us will receive the gift of the second chance story in Jesus by grace through faith. So the question is, which story are you primarily living out of? And moreover, which story are you every single day more and more and more growing into and connecting to in your life? The story of Adam, which is a story of self-centeredness and self-righteousness, and I know that's a hard word, but that's what Paul says in Romans one through three. Or a story of righteousness and goodness that's actually not found in ourselves, but found in Jesus, our second Adam and representative. And so just really quickly, as you wrestle with that question in your life, what story am I living out of? Am I living more out of the story of Adam or more out of the story of Jesus? What story am I growing in? When we talk about discipleship and following Jesus closer, what it is is actually knowing more of the story of Jesus and integrating and allowing God to connect that story with my story. The gospel is the intersection of the story of Jesus and your story, by the way. So which one am I living out of? Which one am I growing in? I brought a a chart, okay? I don't use many charts. I'm gonna use a chart today. I brought a chart and here's how I want you to understand this chart. The wing stories, if you will, The story of self-righteousness and self-centeredness are the same story. It's the story of Romans one through three, of me trying to make sense of my story on my own. The story of self-centeredness is, it's just me. I'm a free agent. I do whatever I want to bring me the most pleasure. The story of self-righteousness is, it's just me. And I've got to work my way out of this predicament called sin. 
and I can do enough good things that when I get to heaven, I'll get in 51 to 49% or whatever the percentages you think you're at. But it's me doing things. And through my self-righteousness and self-centeredness, it's all about me. There's actually only two stories represented here. The middle story is the second chance story through Jesus. It's the gospel story, the intersection of your brokenness and God's righteousness. And Jesus overwhelming your story with his story. Now, just really quickly, there's a thousand categories we could put into these two primary stories that Paul describes in Romans 5. I just want to give you five really quickly, okay? And I'm going to, let's just put them all up, guys. We're just going to put them all up, and I'm going to walk through them very, very quickly. And I just want to encourage you to go further on your own. If you're in a community group or you've got family here or friends, to, to go further at lunch or dinner and talk about this in your own story. Let's talk first of all in the first category about this word holiness or how we orient to God. The self-righteous person, another phrase for this would be the religious person, the legalistic person, the workspace person that's living out of that story. They're in full agreement that God is holy. They love talking about God's holiness. And moreover, they, they would love talking about how they can get to God's holiness on their own. And they want you to know about it. And all the wonderful things that they've done to be holy like God is holy. The self-centered person, remember, these are the same two stories, is all about God's love. Have you heard that before? Well, God is love. Well, God is love. But love also acknowledges standards. Love also acknowledges boundaries. Love also acknowledges God's holiness. This is why John said, for God so loved the world, you know, when he's quoting Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, that he gave his only son. Well, why would God have to give his only son if there's no such thing as sin? The gospel-oriented person knows that God is holy, that there's a standard of perfection that I cannot meet, but God is loving. And that's the reason why he sent his son, Jesus, to do for me and to attain for me holiness that I could not attain for myself. The self-righteous person is all about God's holiness. The self-centered person is all about God's love. Let's go further. The self-righteous person, the person that's living from the story of Adam and shame, is earning by doing. I'm only, I'm only made right with God or earning credit, to use that word that Paul uses 11 times in Romans 4, to be credited in my spiritual bank account by what I do. So I've got to do all these things. Last week we talked about it's either do or done. You either have to do things to, to earn your worth and merit with God or it's what he's done to get to you. And of course the gospel story is done, what God's done for you. The self-centered person says, you don't need to do anything. There is no standard. So eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Just live your life. Self-actualize into the best version of yourself, whatever that means. The gospel-oriented person says, I receive, verse 17, Romans 5, 17, if you're going to memorize a verse from the message, memorize that one, that we receive the gift of righteousness through Christ and what has been done for us. See the difference? Self-centeredness and self-righteousness are all about what I'm doing. Gospel story, the Jesus story, the second chance story is what's been done for me and I receive it as a gift. I don't take it or earn it because of what I've done. Let's go further. What about sin? The self-righteous person says sin only affects the individual. So I just do evangelism, which we should do evangelism, meaning telling other people about Jesus. Our simple mission here is six words as a church, helping people find and follow Jesus. It's a wonderful mission. It's the mission that God gave to the church through Jesus. But the self-righteous person only emphasizes one part of that in saying that we just go to individuals and tell them about Jesus because all of sin is individualistic. 
The self-centered person says, we just go and do good things, social works, social action. We just address the systems of brokenness, not individual sin, because there is no individual sin, because there is no holiness. And if there is no holiness or standard, then there's no sin. So we just go do a bunch of good things. The gospel-oriented Jesus person understands the story of Christ and that I'm broken myself and that the systems of the world are broken too. And so I both, I need Jesus and I need to tell other people about Jesus and I wanna do good things in the name of Jesus to tell people about him and to correct systems that are broken to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Let's go further, what about guilt? We've used that word today. Self-righteous people tend to go towards guilt. Religious, legalistic people tend to live in the realm of guilt. They swim in guilt. And by the way, self-righteous people, if we are self-righteous, if we're legalistic, if we're workspace, they want everyone else to swim in that same water. So I recognize we're coming out of Thanksgiving and maybe you sat with people at a table and maybe you were that person that when people are around, they just go, I just feel bad. I just feel guilty. I just feel like I don't visit enough. I don't call enough. I don't do enough. I don't, and the, the reality is that someone who's living in the story of guilt, which is actually shame, you know, in terms of who they are, and they project it as guilt on other people, they're bleeding over everybody else's guilt. So when they're living in guilt, right, then they want you to live in guilt and be oriented the same way. And for that to be your primary motive. And for many of you, your family of origins were oriented around guilt of what you have to do, not what you get to do. And so self-righteous people are very comfortable with guilt. They go towards guilt. They live in guilt and they want you to live in guilt too. Self-centered people go away from guilt. Why would I ever feel guilty? There are no standards. It's just me. We're just all trying to do our best and be the best version of ourselves. We're all just trying to be happy. So why would I feel guilty about anything in my life? They go away from guilt. They're allergic to guilt. By the way, there's a godly form of guilt called conviction that the Spirit brings in our life, not to keep us in guilt, but to bring us back to the second story of Jesus. Because the gospel person goes through guilt or conviction and moves towards peace with Jesus because they're reminded of the rest that Jesus did for them. So they experience guilt or conviction and it moves them back to the second story to understand that Jesus undid the first story and they don't have to live as a slave to sin and guilt anymore. Does that make sense? Here's the last one. Let's talk about change. How do you change your story? You know, depending on how you answer this question, how do you how do you turn more towards the second story of Jesus? If you're living in the story of Adam, of self-centeredness, of self-righteousness, how do you turn to the second story? Well, the self-righteous person repents of self-centeredness. What do I mean by that? The self-righteous, legalistic, religious person will overtly repent of lying, of cheating, of stealing, of these sins that are out there for everyone to see against other people. They're comfortable with repenting of those. They are less comfortable with repenting of things like pride. Uh, gossip, judgmentalism. They don't understand that orientation because they live in that. And so they resist repenting of things that are on the inside of their heart and their posture towards God because they still think that they can do it on their own. And in order for them to be good enough, then you have to be bad in some way. 
So I'm in a competition to Jesus with you. So the worse you are, the better I am. And so I begin to judge and I begin to put that and project that on other people. So I only repent of self-centeredness or things that you can see, not a posture of my heart. A self-centered person is like, what, repent? Change? Why would I change? I just have to be me. Why would I ever change anything about me? I just need to accept myself. I just need to love myself and love all the broken things about me because there's no way out of it. The Jesus story, the gospel story is I change or I repent of both self-righteousness, the posture of my heart and the works of my hands and the words of my mouth, my self-centeredness that are stunningly selfish in front of other people. And I change from both of them because both of them are an anathema to the gospel. Both of them are the opposite of the second story of Jesus. That is a grace-oriented story. There's so many other categories. I hope this will get you started. A beginning to orient your story in the second story of Jesus because all of us, bottom line, are searching for a story that makes sense of our story. And the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus, the second Adam that came to do for us what we could not and would not do for ourselves is, everyone watch this, is the only place where you can find your true story that God made you for. It will not be in self-centeredness. I know shockingly, it will not even be in all of your good self-righteousness. It is only through Jesus that we come alive to who we really are, our true selves fully alive in the grace of God and understanding that in Jesus, we live and we move and we have our being. What does that mean? It means that all of our stories are an outflow of the story of Jesus. And so when I choose self-righteousness, which I will because of my brokenness, and when I choose self-centeredness, which I will before I probably leave the parking lot today, I come back to the story of Jesus and I'm rooted once again in the gospel story of what Jesus did for me that I could not and that I would not do for myself. And thanks be to God for that. To Christ be the glory today. Let's pray together. Paul wrote, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Jesus. Another story. Just as everyone dies because we, are all, because we all belong to Adam, the first story, everyone who belongs to Christ, the second story, will be given new life. God, would you give us the wisdom today to know what you're speaking to us and our story from your word? And would you give us the faith and the trust to believe you, Jesus, and to live more and more the story of Jesus? To you alone be the glory today. Amen.